You know, light really is a wonderful thing, particularly if you find yourself in darkness. Um, several years ago, I had a friend from the UK called Kia, and he came out, we went up to the Blue Mountains, and we went on one of those epic bushwalks that we were completely unprepared for. You know the ones where you drop a thousand stairs or a thousand meters into the valley, walk around, and then you've got to kind of come back up again? And we did the walk, we got about two thirds into the bit in the valley, and we came up to this sign that said the track was closed, go back. We saw that as a suggestion rather than a demand. Anyhow, we went over the sign. We kept walking and the path got sketchier and sketchier. And all of a sudden we realized that we were completely lost in the Blue Mountains. Um, it wasn't good. And I, and I just thought, oh my gosh, I'm gonna be that guy on the Channel 10 News rescued by a helicopter wrapped in alfoil. <laughs> Anyhow, it literally got dark, we finally found this path and it descended back up and along the ridge. And in, in absolute pitch darkness, we eventually walked into the empty car park other than our one car that was still there. And there was that moment, beep beep, and the lights of the car came on. And Kira and I, we held each other. <laughs> it was such a relief to be back in the light. Well, it's right that as we start December, this season of Advent, with Isaiah proclaiming that light has come into the world. We're in this last section of Isaiah, where he paints this future picture of what it looks like when God has come and saved, and the people are fulfilling their side of the covenant. Sadly, for brevity, we skipped over the start of this section in Isaiah 54, when the people of God are told to enlarge their tent, to spread out. Okay, this is going to be a, an age of growth in the kingdom of God. Isaiah 55 then has this incredible offer to us. It says, Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. It speaks to the grace and the kindness of God that will be ushered in in this future era that we believe is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Undeserved, unpaid for by us, but where God will just lavish grace upon the world. We can't afford it, we can't pay for it, but God gives it to us. And then last week we saw in Isaiah 58... That when the people of God's spiritual practices match their commitment to justice and concern for the poor, verse 8, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. This whole section is just remarkable. It is a remarkable picture of the future eon that we now belong to because the coming of Christ, the arrival of the kingdom of God. So let me now read to you from Isaiah 60, verses 1 to 3. The prophet Isaiah, writing hundreds of years before the coming of Christ, says, Arise and shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. So verse 1, arise, shine, 
for your light has come. All through the Bible there is this amazing motif of light and darkness. Light representing God's presence, his character and our mission in the world. And darkness representing all that is wrong, all that is broken, all that is sinful within us. Yes, that's right. Before Star Wars, the Bible introduced us to the light and the dark side. Well, from the beginning of Genesis, it says God has separated the light from the darkness. And it says he saw that the light was good. Light brings order to chaos. Then in Exodus, as God leads them out of slavery in Egypt, his presence that guides them is light. Exodus 13, 21. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night, in a pillar of fire to give them light. The very presence of God is characterized as light. As Psalm 27 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom then shall I fear? So in the Old Testament, God is associated with light. And it is light that guides, protects and saves. And if you've been tracking with us in this series in Isaiah, you will know that the promise is that the people of God ain't seen nothing yet. Isaiah 9, a great light is to come into the world. Verse 1 of Isaiah 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. That's the promise. They've experienced God as light, but they're about to experience a great light that will come into the world and it will end the gloom of those living in distress. Now, when Isaiah wrote this, at this point in the history of the people of God, it's fair to say that there is nothing that suggests that they were functioning as a great light. Do you remember earlier on in Isaiah where God talks about them being like a vineyard that he's planted and he went to look and the only thing that he found was bad fruit. They didn't care about justice. They didn't act righteously in their lives. As one commentary puts it, we meet nothing in their history which can be deemed a fulfilment of this prophecy in this chapter. We must conclude it relates principally to future events. Now, we're going to do this song next week. I don't know who's leading the worship next week. But we sing this song, don't we? Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. We read in Matthew 4 that the waiting is over, talking about the coming of Jesus, his incarnation. The gospel writer quotes Isaiah 9. The people in living in darkness have seen a great light. The gospel writer uh, John in chapter 3 says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But possibly my favourite moment in it all is in John chapter 8. The people of God have come to Jerusalem and they're celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. And at this festival, the people would quote these very verses from Isaiah about God being light. 
They are waiting and waiting. Feast of Tabernacles come. Feast of Tabernacles go. And so they're gathered in Jerusalem, hoping that the fulfilment of this prophecy, that light would come, that God himself would arrive. John chapter 8, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but they will have the light of life. Drenched in the fulfillment of the prophecies and promises of Isaiah, Jesus Christ, the light of the world. So in Isaiah 60, in response to your light has come, we are told by God to arise and shine. The imagery here is of the dawning of a new day. In Hebrew, the words for shine and light are basically the same. Auri and Aurek. We could translate this, give light for your light has come. Let me say that again. Give light for your light has come. As Jesus has come to bring light, we are called then to reflect this light into a dark world. And ain't that the truth? God's presence through his Holy Spirit comes to live in us who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And that light that enters us is then to be reflected into a dark world. And arise and shine, it's active, it's not passive. The Hebrew word for arise literally means stand up. Stand up, church. Stand up. Do the things that God has called you to do. Stand up and begin to shine your light into the world. And does that not what Jesus says to us on the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others. So God's children, they're going to have an incredible role to play in spreading light throughout the world. Do you remember from a few weeks ago what that's going to look like? Isaiah 42, 5-7. It says, I will take hold of your hand, I will keep you and I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. Now listen to the next bit. For what being a light to the Gentiles, a light to the world is going to look like. It says, you will be a light for the Gentiles to open eyes that are blind. To free captives from prison. To release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Do you know anyone who's covered in darkness? Who needs the liberating light of Jesus Christ? That's the mandate of the church. That's the calling of your life. So what does being a light involve? Well, it goes back to what we said last week. Our deeds need to match our spiritual practices. When God's light breaks forth, it says, the blind are healed, the captives are freed, those in darkness are released. That's what God wants to encourage you and I to give our lives to. That's what we're to be involved in. That's what we're to care about. That's what we are to speak up and on behalf of. I I don't know if you've been told a lie, but the point of Christian faith is not to get saved, wait for heaven, go to church in the meantime. 
It's time to stand up and shine. You know, I heard the royal family never travels together. So crucial, apparently, are they to the future of humanity that Prince Charles and Prince William cannot be on the same plane. So a new decree, for the same reason, manly lifers can now never travel in groups of more than five. (laughs) Because if we lose you, manly will be plunged into gloom and darkness. Now, does that sound ludicrous? Would manly even miss us if we disappeared? Could it survive without us? Are we essential to its well-being? Because that seems to me to be the suggestion that the prophet Isaiah makes, that God's children are meant to be the light of the world. Without us, the world gets plunged into darkness. People get captive. They get oppressed. The world loses its moral core, its sense of right and wrong, the value of every individual as having dignity and therefore worth. Now maybe you think I'm crazy. If you suggested to the average punter on the street, would the world be better off or without without the church? What would they say today? Remember John Lennon? Imagine there's no religion. That's what the world so sadly often thinks of us. But our role is to be the invaluable light of God shining through us. Well, what's the reason we need to bring this? It's explained in the next bit of Isaiah 60. It says, darkness covers the earth, thick darkness is over the peoples. And that's the reality of the world we live in. And I think it manifests in two ways, in the personal and the societal. On a personal note, we all degrees of de- de- degrees we, we have to cope with the darkness that lives within all of us. It manifests in the gossip, the greed, the immorality, the sin that lives in us all. You know, I think sometimes when we talk about sin or darkness, we mainly think in terms of others, don't we? You know, we, we think, oh, he's a sinner. Or, or they've got a bit of a problem. So I'm not pointing at anyone here, just, just think facts. <laughs> Will. Yeah, okay. But the reality is that the line between light and darkness runs through the middle of every human heart. I remember hearing a story about one of the earliest Westfield malls. Uh, one of the earliest Westfield malls that had absolutely no natural light. Not long after the grand opening, the power failed and all of the lights went out. At first the people froze, but then eventually, carnage broke loose. An hour later, when the lights finally came back on, the shelves had been stripped, clothes grabbed off racks and stolen, the entire place had been ransacked. Now, either there was just one bad egg who had an incredible speed and agility to ransack an entire mall, or maybe it reveals something about us. The reality is that sin lives in us all, and when darkness covers, darkness gets exposed. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 3. You know, the next bit of that lovely verse is a bit, a bit heavier. You know, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light. Because their deeds were evil. 
We know, don't we, also that darkness manifests itself in injustice and poverty and oppression around the world. You know, and the majority of people today, majority? Yeah, we're still in the two and a half billion Christians, so we're still not the majority. They don't know God through Jesus Christ in a saving, liberating way. They don't know the justice, the freedom that comes from God's people reflecting light. You know, imagine living in Syria these last decade. Or being a refugee on the run for your life. Fleeing the violence that's happening in Ethiopia at the moment. Imagine living under the caste system in India as someone of a lower caste who's just told their life is worth nothing. Imagine living as a woman in Saudi Arabia. And of course, it's not just globally. What about on the beaches? We have the record for the highest amount of drink driving in New South Wales. Isn't that terrible? Um, I don't know if we have the highest level, but it's right up there for domestic violence. Right here on the northern beaches. You know, relationships breaking down. Kids doing stuff that would make you blush. You know, what about you? You know, um, you know that, that anxiety that comes from always feeling like you don't fit in or have enough or keeping up with the Joneses, always comparing yourself to others. Maybe it's habits you can't kick. The world is, by and large, a dark place. All right, well, let's not close on that bummer. (laughs) Because in Isaiah 61 to 3, it says that as we reflect light, the world is going to be drawn into this great story. Verse 3, nations will come to your light and the kings to the brightness of your dawn. That's our mission. Jesus calls us to be a city on a hill, to shine our light, to reflect the presence of God into the world around us. And it says that as we reflect the light of God's presence, as his character begins to form within us, the world will be drawn to God and the darkness will be beaten back and it will be dispelled. Amen. In 123 AD... Emperor Hadrian began persecuting the Christians. And so an eloquent Greek philosopher named Aristides observed the Christians and then he wrote back to Emperor Hadrian. This is what he said. It is the Christians, O Emperor, who have sought and found the truth, for they acknowledge God. They do not keep for themselves the goods entrusted to them. They do not covet what belongs to others. They show love to their neighbours. They do not do to another what they would not wish to have done to themselves. They speak gently to those who oppress them. And in this way, they make them their friends. It has become their passion to do good to their enemies. Every one of them who has anything gives ungrudgingly to the one who has nothing. If they see a travelling stranger, they bring him under their roof. They rejoice over him as over a real brother. For they do not call one another brothers after the flesh, but they know they are brothers and sisters in the spirit and in God. If they hear that one of them is imprisoned or oppressed for the sake of Christ, they take care of all his needs. If possible, they set him free. This, O Emperor, is the rule of the life of the Christians. And this is the manner of their life. 
Wouldn't that be nice to have that written about us in the Sydney Morning Herald? Nations will come to your light, kings to the brightness of your dawn. And while I'll be the first to admit there have been truly tragic moments in Christian history when followers of Jesus have committed the most atrocious crimes, the reality is that when we reflect Jesus, it can only bring light into the darkness. Here, Adrian, the persecutor, was faced with the reality that it was the Christians who truly knew how to live in a remarkable way. They just gave away what belonged to them. They loved their neighbours. They spoke gently to those who oppressed them. They brought strangers under their roof and they treated them like their own brothers and sisters. Well, as we close, isn't there so much opportunity for us today? You know, I love this area. But I would be kidding myself if I thought it was all long lollies and sunshine. And You know, I would simply say, find your thing. Find your thing. Find your way to shine the light of Christ into this dark world. First and foremost, people need Jesus. To bring friends to church to hear the good news of the gospel. And I was so blessed last week by how many of you signed up to want to help at the Salvation Army. How many of you signed up to want to support Homes of Hope International. Can I just say, use your money well. If you live here, you live in the richest 6% of the entire world. Let's face it, you're probably in the top 1% if you live in Manly. So use your time and money to be light. You know, so many of you do support Homes of Hope International, the orphanages rescuing these girls out of sex slavery. You know, just this week we committed as a church that we're going to give from your offertories over the next 12 months, besides a whole lot of other stuff we give away, $20,000 to buy grace orphanage in Kenya, to the children's home with Homes of Hope in India, and we're going to give $10,000 to African Enterprise throughout Africa. You know, give your money away. Don't be, there's nothing worse in this world than stingy Christians. Isn't that just the worst thing? Stingy Christians. <laughs> Alright, well as usual, I've not put a lot of work into finishing this sermon. So, that's Isaiah 60, guys. Let's stand together. That's a good note to go on. Don't be a stingy Christian. <laughs> Let's see.